Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. You are listening to Opera After Dark. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And as Naomi often says, we talk about the weird and ridiculous yada yada from throughout music history. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how Naomi. I know. Says it. It's terrible. You would think you would think that one of these times I would actually remember the tagline: "Real and ridiculous, ridiculous stories, stories from throughout yeah. music history." Yes. Okay. There, there we go. There you go, <laughs> guys. We like we spent a whole week discussing that tagline we, we workshopped it we did that's true but now that was like over two years ago yeah it was it's so true. it's been some time before we get started on the episode we want to do a quick shout out um we got fan mail all the way from australia which is shocking to me australia yeah. there you know the magic of the internet there are people all over the world that are listening to us talk about nonsense um, no talk about the to- beautiful art form is what the you most meant beautiful to say. art form that we all love and and hate at the same time. Um, <laughs> but yes, we got. We want to give a shout out, yeah, to our 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 new buddy Josh, who lives in Australia. Hi, Josh. Hey, Josh. Hi, Josh. He asked us a bunch of questions, and rather than uh, write him back because we're too lazy, we're just going to answer it right now in the episode. Yeah, hopefully um, you're. So, hopefully Josh, you're I listening. hope you listen to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So one of the things Josh asked us was uh, he was really interested in the episode that we did in the first season about Janacek, who was something. That was episode um, episode two? Episode so. two. Yeah. You're right. Nice. The second episode we ever did, all about Janacek. Um, and he wanted to know if he could find online anywhere the actual letters that Janacek wrote to this woman that he was obsessed with, um, Camila Stoslova. Um, and you can't find them online. Sorry, Josh. But if you're interested, if you're really interested, um, you can buy a book. It's um, like an educational text, and I'm actually I'm sure Amazon has it. Um, but it was yeah. We'll we'll link to it. Yeah, it was printed out by the Princeton Legacy Library, and it's called Intimate Letters. Leo Janacek to Camila Stoslova. Um, and it's so, by it's by John Tyrell. Yes. He's the man who translated the letters. And I was saying to Elspeth before we started recording that John Tyrell basically is like the only guy who wrote a book on the history of Czech opera. And so you can find his stuff. He's a musicologist, he's a scholar, but he obviously also speaks Czech, I'm assuming, because he was the one that translated these letters. And so the book is a publication of his translations. Right. Of the letters. But nice. I bet if you went to like your local public library, you could see if they could do some sort of like library switch and, and get it for you. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, I don't think there's a, a translation that you can just access online anywhere. Jo- but no. it'll be... I'm, I'm sorry, Josh. OperaAfterDark.com. No. <laughs> we'll link to it. Yeah, yeah. We're going to link to it. We're not going to translate the letters. Oh, no. We're not going to translate no, those letters. We can, I'm sorry. We can give a link to the... The, the book, book information. 
Yes, yes. yes. Yeah, but... Uh, another question that Josh had was about whether or not we ever hear about opera happenings down under in Australia. And the answer is no. <laughs> that's not entirely true. Of course, one of the most famous opera houses in the world is the Sydney Opera House. Yes, and I that's very true. would imagine that it is on all of our bucket lists to go to the Sydney Opera House. If anyone wants to fund Opera After Dark to do an Australian tour... <laughs> yeah, Josh, what do you do for a living? Well, in any case, we do hear about when big-name singers go to Australia. Like, I believe not too long ago, Jonas Kaufman went to sing at the Sydney Opera House. So That's like a big deal that- because he... he- doesn't make it doesn't really that travel. far out of Europe that often. Yeah. It's already a big deal just to get to New York. So uh, <laughs> he finally came. <laughs> he came. Um, and the last yeah. question, he wanted to know if there was any online videos or recordings of us performing as individuals in our other lives as performers. And there is a video, you have to search for it on YouTube, of Kyle... Oh, mother trucker! <laughs> what is he? What is? What does he think? What's the Christmas it's the, song? It's that um, the one about it's a Christmas. It's a Christmas it's song. A Christmas song. Kyle, what is I it? Can, no I, more I lives torn you. apart, and and wars would never start. Grown up Christmas list. That's the one. Grown up Christmas uh, list. Put into Google. Grown Google up Christmas it. list. Kyle Homewood on YouTube, and you will find it. It is a delight, everyone. Um, and I have a website, so just visit elspethdavis.com. That's right. Oh, and you've got all the stuff there. Almost She's got there. some wicked awesome stuff there. Wicked awesome, because Naomi's from Boston now. Canadians say that. Wicked. Do they? What? Yeah. But Josh. Yeah, Josh. Thank you for your email. Yeah, and I hope we semi-answered yes. your questions. And thank you for listening to Opera After Dark. Uh, if anybody get, I can, your, get your friends to listen to yeah, it. I can confidently say that there's no, at least I'm pretty sure there's no video footage of me doing anything. Is there audio footage? There's like a, a, a lot of audio footage because of podcasting. Mm. I mean, I haven't Wait, sung you, anything. Of no, you singing. That's no. what I'm talking about. No. Well. Naomi also hosts the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast where they talk about serious opera things. It's a much more serious tone than a this A much more one. serious tone. So you can listen to the, her, um, the dulcet tones of Naomi doing intro outros and also some of the episodes mm-hmm. if you want more Naomi all the time and who doesn't I but also like have I want to talk about like Naomi has a website and it's dope but her dress in it is like amazing but <laughs> I want to talk about are there recordings of Naomi singing cuz she like Kyle in a past life was a singer I was a singer in a past life and I can't think of any recordings of me singing that are actually available online. I'm going to talk to your dad. <laughs> you know, you know Naomi's dad has like all these VHS tapes oh, at yeah. home. Oh yeah. VHS. There's beta definitely Max. beta There's definitely oh, Betamax. Right. Wait, serious? Oh yeah. Like, you guys, you guys were like were a like, Betamax what, family, right? My Oh yeah, my dad was like a Sony diehard and so <laughs> everything in our house had to be Sony. And so there there's video footage of me on Betamax singing Christmas carols in our like church Christmas pageant, <gasps> dressed as a sheep. Yes. I so. want them. I want them so badly. <laughs> I'm going to find them for you, Josh, but also for me. <laughs> right. But but as an adult, once I don't again, think there is anything. Although that well, might... something right now. That might change. No, no, no. That might change because Kyle and I made some surprise 
little gifts for you while we were traveling in Scotland. <laughs> and so, yes, so we you did. might just have to wait to hear me actually sing something. Oh my God. But oh, it's kind of singing Outlander. That's right. I've heard about this. Um, and other, other things. things. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is too good. But yes, Josh, uh, thank, thank you so much you. for writing us. I hope that that response was some, somewhat coherent. And uh, if anybody else has questions for us about opera, about anything. this podcast, about anything else, you can always email us at any one of our first names at operaafterdark.com or just info at operaafterdark.com. We will definitely not email you back, but we'll probably talk about it in the next episode. I mean, so. no, that is not true. We, do, we try and email people back. We're just slow off the blocks. We're yeah. slow off the blocks. This right, isn't, right. None of us, time. Opera After Dark is sadly none of our day jobs. And so. I know. <laughs> well, what is it that we will be talking about today? What what is the subject of today's Well, we're going to talk about Puccini again. Puccini, our very first episode. Puccini, yes. And so we are actually talking about a, a triptych, a trio, that is going to be spread across three weeks. And so there is a group of operas that he wrote to be performed in a single evening. There are three short operas mm-hmm. called Il Tritico. And do they all have anything in common? Uh, we'll get to that. Yes, they do. Um... Uh... They're all about death. Exactly. I get, okay. <laughs> that that is the really the only like common factor between right. them. That's also though when it comes to opera, that's like saying, yeah, they all have singing. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's true. Um, I I feel like, and Naomi, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like what happened is that Puccini saw how successful um, Mascagni, Kyle's doppelganger. His um, Cave Rusticana was, and Puccini was like, oh, well, I should write one act operas. Yeah. They get done everywhere. Right. And so, hence, mm-hmm. Il Tritico was born. Il Tritico is what we're talking about for the next three weeks. Um, if you don't like Puccini, sorry, that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> Although I have to say they're all, like, they're all Puccini, obviously, but they all they are they're all different. pretty different. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. so we're going to also, like, be forewarned, Kyle hates the opera that's coming up next week. So... Hate it. Hate it. So that'll be interesting, but you'll have to tune in next week to hear that. Right. <laughs> so today we're talking about the first opera in Puccini's Il Tritico, which I feel like a lot of people don't know as well because it's not done as often, mm-hmm. um, is Il Tabaro or The Cloak. And the only thing, right. the only I, thing I know like... really about this opera is there's a boat involved. A big ass boat. I feel like it's worth... It's worth saying that these, so it's three one-act operas that Puccini had intended to be performed as like one evening. Yes, at he the went opera. on record being very against breaking them up. Right. However, I feel like the other two, Swar Angelica and Johnny Skiki, get performed either a lot together, or Swar Angelica and Johnny Skiki get performed on their own. They do a nowadays. Lot. Right. Nowadays, and I feel like that might be because to borrow the vocal demands are a lot more strenuous than in the other two operas. People people very quickly began to separate them, even though Puccini was against it. It was like pretty much right off the bat. They were like, oh, we're just going to yeah, do two of these. Yeah, actually, the Ballet Russe, which was directed by Sergei Diagliev, we've talked yeah. about this in previous episodes, The Rite of Spring, all this kind of stuff. They wanted to perform one of the operas in conjunction with one of their ballets. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that Puccini was like initially asked if they could do two of the operas plus the ballet and he agreed to have like two of them 
performed without the third. The first two. Which two? I think it was the first two. Um, but let me check because I just checked this fact and now I forget. That sounds that sounds right to me. Yeah. It's also worth noting, uh, we'll get into this in a couple of weeks, but uh, Johnny Skiki, the third of these operas. So we have Il Tabaro, Suor Angelica, and Johnny Skiki in that order. And Johnny Skiki is the only comic opera yes. from Puccini. So in, in this ever. particular yes. situation, it's actually interesting because um, Casa Ricordi, which was Puccini's <clears throat> publishing house, they still exist today, mm-hmm. and um, the scores that they publish, the recording scores, are like the imprints from all the way back when. In 1920, the Royal Opera wanted permission to perform Tabaro and Gianni Schicchi without Swarangelica. Smart to, people. <laughs> and Smart to pair people. it with Diaghilev's, uh, like a program from Diaghilev's Ballet Russe. Um, and then it ended up that they actually... I think they dropped Il Tabaro, so it would have been just Janiskiki with whatever program they were doing with the Ballet okay. Russe, and Puccini was not happy. Not happy. Right. Because he was like, oh, I can't believe I wrote that stupid Swan Angelica. Why you save it for when we actually talk about Swan Angelica? <laughs> right. So we're talking <laughs> about Il Tabaro. Yes. Right now. Yeah. So this is the first Fair of enough. the three. Um, I did not really know this but it it does actually have like like most things Puccini wrote it has source material and it's based on a play called La Hoopenlande is it Dutch I don't know Didier Gold is the ooh Didier Didier? maybe it's like Swiss La La Hoopenlande maybe German I do recall (laughs) I do recall that Il Tabarro translates to yes, the cloak. That's yes. what I said like a minute and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, did you? I've started tuning that's you smart. out. So. <laughs> <laughs> um there there is no entry for for Didier? For Didier Gold or for La oh. Hoopenlanda. Oh Didier. On Wikipedia. Isn't isn't that amazing when you come across something it's and there's no entry on shocking. Wikipedia? Yes. Yeah, and you're just like, what the hell? Like, is there anything that's not on Wikipedia? I think we'd have to look Apparently, on like, the like, Dutch Didier. Wikipedia. No, Didier, oh, he was Dutch because this is in Dutch Wikipedia. Shall I read it to you now? Yes. Yes, please. Didier Gold was in France, Tonnischleven, an Tetzdichter, die unter mir libretto schrieb vor die Franze Composis Mario Kansas. Singst ein Kante La Hubelanda, 1910, waren zwei globedige Muren wurden gebliebte, was die Inspiration für Giacomo Puccini's Il Tabaro di Mantel. The funny I'm thing is that, like, you... <laughs> Puccini, oh, die hat Tonnestuch in 1912 hast gesiebt, um schrieb das dir in Paris Argot geschrieben, was als ein Appenstück in alles betik... Oh, Jesus... But he can listen from the foot, where me he told the opter bin yam, when the tolmartier parisia statsbindes the affashion. Yes, that was horrific, <laughs> and I'm so sorry. But you need to apologize to all I of our Dutch fans. Apologize to all of our Dutch fans and all of our German fans. Um, oh, actually, actually he actually wrote it, a version of Men on Let's Go, according to this. So, hey. 
But yeah. Oh, nice. In my in my experience with Dutch people, actually, they would be quite thrilled that you attempted. I'm like the Dutch. drunk enough that I'm like I'm just gonna roll with this and assume I'm doing it semi correctly. Yeah, I, I feel like you Thank did a good you. job. I'm not I'm not an authority, but I I feel like it was pretty good. And I also like how enough of the enough of the words are so close to English that you can kind of get the general point. Also, oddly enough, your inflection was seemed very appropriate for like Thank what you. you were saying. Um, I think it was semi easy to figure out what they were actually talking about. But apparently, long story short, DDA Gold's claim to fame was writing the play that Il Tabara was based on. There you go. Nice. Das Hopenthal? D. Something like that? No, La. D. La Hopenlander. La Hopenlander. Uh, Hopenlander. So I'm just going to guess that Hopenlander means cloak in Dutch. Yeah. Sure. Let's guess that. Was I right? Yes. La Hopelanda uh, is an outer garment with a long, full body and flaring sleeves that was worn by both men and women in Europe in the late Middle Ages. There you go. It was go. sometimes lined with fur. Um, oh, the garment was later worn by professional classes and has remained in Western civilization as the familiar academic and legal robes of today. Thanks, Wikipedia. There you go. Isn't that interesting? Gosh. That is interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Right. That was a, a long, long tangent, tangent about on Dutch. source material. Yes. Yeah. Because Il Tabaro is based on a play originally written in Dutch. and But the opera itself, as a triptych, was first seen in... Drum roll, please. I think I know. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. I ruined the drum roll. <laughs> Go what ahead, do you Naomi. think, Kyle? It no, was, where do you think it was first performed? It, it premiered at the Met in New York City. Yes, it did. It did. What year? Oh, ooh, don't. Uh, I'm going to go with 1918. Oh, Kyle Homewood. That is correct. Ooh, ooh. You win mm. today. That's December, all that I remember. December 14th. Nice. There you go. Do we all oh, know yeah, that, the- that, like, the, the one other episode that we've recorded where i actually knew anything about what we were talking about was super annoying right so <laughs> i'm gonna do my best to not well, be annoying let's what just episode <laughs> that? It tosca was, um, tosca he oh, kept interrupting right. me correcting right. me <laughs> i know and it's already started now i need to really rein it in guys this is the 100th anniversary of il tritico's world wow premiere. that's, that's right. awesome yeah that's really cool all right so Il Tabaro, The Cloak. The Cloak. Made its premiere in 1918 at the Met here in New York City. I do know that at the time, this was not the first Puccini opera that was performed at the Met. La Fanchula del West, which we've also talked about on this mm. podcast, was the first Puccini world premiere. This really? The, oh, world yeah. premiere. World premiere, yeah. But they presumably they'd already done like La Boheme. Oh, yeah. They'd done other okay. Puccini things. But it was nice. like a big coup that they got... They got the premiere. That they got the premiere right. for La Ventrula del West and for Il Tabaro yeah. slash Sor Angelica slash Chinese Kiki. Kiki. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were competing at the time with the other opera company where all the old money of New York was, right? Oh, so gotcha. to get a, an actual popular Italian composer to do a world premiere was like a huge thing. I wonder when that other company phased out. 
Oh, you can find it. I can't remember the exact date, but we should we should do an episode about the battling opera houses of New York. We'll do that. Okay. Okay. It's interesting. The history of the Met is really interesting. How it was all formed. Um. Okie dokie. However, let's not focus on that right now. Let's focus right. On so this opera. this is takes place. This opera takes place in on a 1910 boat. on a boat that is parked on the Seine in, in Paris. Paris. Ooh. Yeah. So we have the the boat owner, Michele, is right, the boat owner. Right. And his wife is Giorgetta. Ah, yes. Coming back They're to me now. Not happily married. They are not happily married. Uh, Michele is sung by a baritone, as you might guess. And Giorgetta is sung by a soprano. Sorry, Elspeth. And <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> and then we have Luigi. Who is the tenor? And these, are, these are like all names of Naomi's relatives. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely related to a Luigi and to a Michele. What about I don't a, know a, of a Giorgetta? Giorgetta. <laughs> and sadly, no La Frugola, which is the only mezzo soprano. Oh, right, right. The crone. La Frugola, yes. a.k.a. the old bag lady. The old bag lady, yeah. <laughs> yes. This is, so, it, I do get a weird enjoyment out of whenever Naomi tells a story about her family and it's like, yeah, my cousin Luigi and also every other Enrico and yes. <laughs> Michele. Yeah. Lu- Luigi, here's a fun fact. Luigi was the name of my grandfather's brother. Mm-hmm. And your and grandfather's wanted... name is Mario? Yes. Oh my oh, God. What? They are the original... Mario, Mario Brothers, Brothers, Mario and Luigi. What? Yeah. That's, That's awesome. Crazy. Were they plumbers? They're very common. No, they were not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I actually don't know what Luigi's occupation was, but my grandfather was definitely, he had like a short stint in the Navy that did not go well. Um, and <sighs> oh, then he basically, he gambled most of the time for the rest of the time. He ran a little tchotchke cart. Mario, where he sold stamps and vegetables. So, Mario, oh my gosh, Mario. oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> his name what? is Mar. His name is Mario. Yes, the cart with a cart. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to Mario Kart. <laughs> oh my god, this right, is too never- good. No, stop. We have to get to the actual plot of this opera. Yes. Okay. okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. Okay. So we are on the scent. And it is almost sundown, and basically Michele, his barge or his boat, is kind of involved in like <laughs> shuffling drugs, drugs, vegetables, imports in and out of Paris. <laughs> drugs, vegetables. He transports you know. goods okay. in and out of Paris mm-hmm. at like a seedy port on the Seine. And Georgetta uh, basically asks if she can bring some wine to some of the workers. Um, he agrees, but he doesn't join her. And then he's like, before you go, what about a kiss? And she's like, mm, no, bye. <laughs> oh, mm. she should have just kissed him. I'm good. Right. And so then there's like a whole scene where there's like a, she brings the wine to all of the workers that have been hired to load and unload the boat. And there's an organ grinder and somebody steps on her foot. And then uh, one of the barge workers or manual laborers starts dancing with her and it becomes very clear there is something going on between her and this 
this boat unloader. Strapping mm-hmm. young virile tenor. Tenor named Luigi. 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 And they call him a stevedore. Right, Stevador. right. Stevedore. Right. Yes. So then that breaks up and like that fest- those festivities come to the end and then Georgetta's back on the boat with her husband and they're talking about how there's actually not a lot of work. They've fallen on hard times, mm-hmm. even though they're probably smuggling a lot of stuff in and out of Paris. And so he's like, I'm going to have to let some people go, some of these people that I've hired. Oh, no. So let's talk about, like, who we should let go. And then, basically, Michele's like, you know, I think, like, the lowest guy on the totem pole is Luigi. I'm going to have to let him go. And Georgetta's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Don't let him go. And she argues that, like, any other person would be better than Luigi. Mm-hmm. And Michele is like, exactly like Kyle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Totes obvious. Yes. And then uh, La Frugola enters the old crone. Bag lady. Bag lady who's looking for her (laughs) husband. Right. Who's one of the stevedores. Um, And then she shows everyone all the fruits that she's tried to collect. And she scolds everyone for drinking too much. And then Luigi starts singing about how he's had such a horrible life. And then um, La Frugola is like, you know what I want? I want like a house in the country where my husband and I can just retire and like live blissfully for the rest of our lives. And then this prompts Luigi to start reminiscing about the town where he grew up. And then it turns out that we learn in this that he grew up in this delightful little town where he also knew Georgetta as a child. Oh. oh. They're not related, are they? Don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Let's be honest. Right. Yeah. So everybody leaves except for Luigi. And actually Luigi goes to Michele and he says to him, look, I know that things are not great with the business. You should really just let me go and I'll go find a job in Ruan. And... Then Michele is like, like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, there's nothing for you in Ruan. And so then you're kind of like, okay, why is he doing that? Asking him to stay, even though we all know he was going to ask him to leave. Girl, you know why. Why? Because mm-hmm. he wants to kill him. Okay, why does he kill wanna... him if he's in another town? That's true. Because he screwed his wife. That's right. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> so then, next scene... Georgetta overhears all of this and then she asks her lover like you why do you want to go to Ruan do you not love me anymore Mm. and then he's like no I love you too much this is why I want to go I can't stand to too much be without you and Mm -hmm. but I can't stand to see you married to another man like I have to leave glass case of emotions (laughs) (laughs) and so then so then Luigi's like you know what the answer to this is you and I should run away Oh, boy. And Georgetta's like, well, okay. Like, I think we could do that. And then she says to him, I will stand on the deck of the boat and light a match tonight when it's safe for you to come and meet me and for us to run away. Oh. And then... I like how they pick, like, an activity that could happen for any exactly. other like i'm sure plenty like, of them exactly. smoke yeah right the most generic thing when i do the most generic thing you can come and find me and we'll we'll flee and then there's this moment where luigi's like i don't care if i have to kill your husband we are going to be together no matter what <gasps> luigi and she's like oh that's dramatic okay, but okay. 
when somebody makes a proclamation like that? It's just like in any opera if somebody's like, I don't care if I have to die in order for us to be together. There's somebody's gonna die. Like that's It's like it's like Chekhov's gun. Is it like Chekhov's gun? Yeah, like kind of. Like if you introduce like the gun introduce an point. element in act one, that element's gonna come back and bite you in the ass in yes. like the last act in act three, you know? Yeah. Mm. It's like in act one somebody's talking about how they've been studying like herbology and yada yada. They're gonna poison somebody. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's like it's like every episode of Chuck. Like whatever happens in the first ten minutes. <laughs> I've never seen Chuck. No, I think you would enjoy it, although Probably it gets really would. repetitive after this a couple of The seasons. show that was on but, NBC? Yeah. Oh man. That's like a throwback, every, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chuck is a great series, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in every episode of Chuck, whatever happens in the first fifteen minutes is like going to be a big part of how like the the most dramatic thing in the episode wraps mm. up. Huh. Interesting. Well, in this case, it is saying, well, if I have to, I'll kill your husband. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Luigi is overconfident. Okay. Yes. So um, then Georgetta goes back to the boat where her husband is, and her husband is, like, kind of in a bit of an emo mood, and he's like, remember, Georgetta, when we had a little baby? Because apparently they had a oh, son. No. and Or a child, died. and it died um, before it could really live that long. Mm. But when they were in those early days of bliss with their young baby, he would, like, wrap Georgetta and the baby in his cloak to keep them warm while they were on the deck of the boat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so then he's like, remember that? And then he says, and you know what? I'm really concerned for your future because I'm, like, twice your age. And what if I die and you're left all alone? So there's that. Wow. It's getting real depressing <laughs> yeah. there, It's getting. Michele. This is a really dark opera, by the way. Right, right. And so then she's like, I think I'm going to go below. And he's like, hey, what about a kiss? And you're like, you know, like, give me a kiss before we part. Even though they're like parting on the same boat and it's like, what, 20 feet? So how far could they be from one another? I kiss my husband if if I'm going into the other room. Yeah. That's true. true. Your husband. My husband. Look at you. You're a newlywed. My husband. Wait, no, 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 no. Does, does Does she kiss him? No. Come on, man. That's like just two strikes. Just kiss him on the cheek. You no, can't just, Jesus. I mean, she's really setting herself up to get caught. She should really be playing along. And it's I like, don't want to victim blame any woman ever for anything, but Jesus, come on. That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. Just, just kiss him on the cheek. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. No, no, no. He's like, what about a kiss before you go? <coughs> and she's like, uh, no. I'm good. Stupid. I'm good, bro. Good. I'm Stupid. Yeah. So then she leaves, and of course, then Michele has this big monologue where he's like, she won't kiss me twice. I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> he doesn't quite go there. He's oh. like, I think she's cheating on me. Mm. Right? And then he's like, she's changed. <laughs> he has this, this aria where he's like, she's changed. Something's wrong. And then he starts going through like a whole list of men that have like crossed in and out of their lives in the past few months. And then basically he's like, ah, like Luigi, ever since he came along, things have been different. You think? So he starts. Mm. So he starts suspecting this, but then he like dismiss, dismisses it initially as being like, no, no, that's not the problem. Then he's like, you know what? I need to smoke my pipe to ponder this more. So he sits on the deck. <gasps> yes. 
He sits on the deck. He lights his pipe? He lights his pipe. With a match. No. <laughs> what else would he light it with? Like a torch? I just mean, it's we introduced the match. The yes, thing that everybody true. uses in this scenario. Yes. So he lights a match in order to light his pipe, and he's sitting there smoking on his pipe. And then Luigi, of course, sees him light the match from afar, and it's so dark that he can't tell who it is that lit the match. So he's like, that's my signal. It's time to meet Georgetta and run away. Wait, is is Michele wearing the cloak this whole time? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, go on. Yes. So then Luigi, like, sneaks onto the boat, and then Michele's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Wait, it's the middle of the night. What? You're coming to sleep with my wife. And then Luigi's basically, like, doesn't really get a chance to say anything. Um... Because Michele attacks him, and then, like, right before the big dramatic conclusion, Luigi is like, yes, I confess that I love your wife, and we're going to run away together, and I will do anything to be with her. And then Michele is like, too bad, and he stabs him, and he's, like, basically killed instantly from the stab. Nice. So... So then, oh, it's right, right. I know. There's a really ooh. It's it's like I'm getting goosebumps, anticipating this this end. So like, (laughs) you sound excited. I am excited because it's like, it's intense. Go ahead, go ahead. So like seconds after Luigi gets stabbed, then you hear Georgetta being like, "I'm coming, I'm coming up on deck again." And then Michaela's like, oh, no, I have, like, the dead body of her lover here. Mm. He's like, but I have this giant cloak, so I'll just, like, cover him with right. my cloak. Right, So then he okay. covers the dead body with his cloak. And then um, Georgetta <laughs> comes, and she's like, Michaela kind of confronts her, like, why have you changed? Do you have a lover? What's going on? And she's like, I'm so sorry you feel this way. I didn't mean to make you feel this way. Like, what's going on? And then Michele like swings his cloak open and then Luigi's body, dead body, like falls out of his cloak and he's like, ha ha, I've caught you and I've killed your lover. And then she screams and the opera basically ends on these like huge dramatic chords as she's like screaming at the fact that her lover is dead. And Michele's like, ha ha ha, I caught you. Right. It's like, it is blood chilling. No. No, he does not kill her. How does their marriage bounce back from something? It probably doesn't, let's be honest. But the end I can't see how it would. The end of the opera is really epic and like kind of I I actually gives me goosebumps because it's very so dramatic when he's just like, Here's this dead body and then of course the like Naomi said, the chords are really thick and it's like, you know, Puccini with I'm I'm sure there's brass and it's like like oh like death, murder. Basically, the plot of Old Sparrow, right? 
the lesser known right opera the of least performed opera of Il Tridico. It probably has the most impressive set because most opera companies will somehow figure out a way to like park a whole boat, <gasps> a boat. on stage. Nice. Well, you got it because you got to kill a man on a boat. That's right. Funny. It's the only opera I can think of where a man gets killed on a boat. Well, doesn't a man come on the boat in The Flying Dutchman? No, he's already dead. Oh, dun, boy. Dun, dun. <laughs> we will never talk about it. The Flying Dutchman? Ever. Oh, because Elspeth hates <laughs> Wagner. That's right. But I do know I do know that he's a ghost the whole time. I would love it if somebody could send Elspeth an email trying to explain no, why she on, shouldn't like Wagner. Please, please do it. I don't please. Really wanna, I don't really want to read that. All right. Fair enough. You, you know listen, if you, 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 know if you send that email, mm. she's not going to respond. I will never respond to it. Fine. Yeah. Um, but yes, Il Tabaro. First one done. Join us next week for the opera that Kyle hates more than anything in the whole wide world. More than any opera, certainly. Swarangelica. And on that note, I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Bye.